And a one, and a two, and a one, two, three, four. Hello, welcome to Industry Talk. Welcome to House of Strauss. Welcome to a conversation with one Ryan Glassbeagle, the New York Post media critic at large. I know that's not your official title, but I'm giving it to you. How you doing, Ryan? I'll accept. I'll accept media critic at large. <laughs> um, but you know what's funny is I'm much more of like a media critic on my Twitter account than I am. <laughs> In my writing, because my job at the New York Post is as a reporter, so I'll try and like stick opinions in here and there, but they like don't mm-hmm. always get through. So um, my opinions come on this podcast and in my tweets and in the group text. A, a media critic at small, or whatever we're saying, or a media critic at compartmentalized, media critic at whatever. We've got a good docket, I think. I was just in Las Vegas for NBA Summer League for a whirlwind couple of days. Uh, I think there was... Climate? uh, What was that? Was it a temperate climate? (laughs) No, it was... uh, I always wonder... You you know, here's what I think should happen. I I just... Look, I I think it would be a good tradition. It would cut out the riffraff. There is a statue, a bronze statue of Jerry Tarkanian right outside the Thomas and Mack Center in Las Vegas uh, that you pass by when you go into NBA Summer League. It is the most scalding hot of statues. I think I once just grazed it briefly. It's out there in 114 degree weather, metallic, uh, rising up towards the sun. I think every agent in the NBA should prove their mettle, sort of like uh, uh, the, the, the Shaolin what have you and Kung Fu the Legend continues. I have no idea what the official When they walk are. over poles and stuff. Well, I'm talking about when they get the the uh, the, the tattoo, the branding with the oh, you know, okay. the two arms on the hot and the scalding hot. I think you should do that on the Tarkanian towel to become an NBA agent. Just just to prove you're serious. I that's just what I'm throwing out there. Take it uh, or leave it. That might thin out the ranks. I don't think that I could withstand that. I I certainly couldn't, but I think that it would bring a solemnity to the profession that is uh, sorely lacking in one of the loosier, goosier uh, occupations that I know about. An occupation where people frequently pay NBA players to make it look like NBA players are paying them so they can get more NBA players to pay them. Um, but that's it's, a whole it's weird. Thing. I don't even understand why most of the players even need an agent and le- well, you know, they need them for the, um, press and, you know, doing things like you think of an agent as somebody who negotiates your contract, but all these contracts, especially for the stars are just like slotted by what the rules are. And mm. so, I mean, I can understand like, you know, mid-level players needing an agent, but the stars need them for like a variety of administrative tasks, including like massaging their reputation in the media and who knows what else, but not the actual negotiations of their money. Well, and that's why it's a, it's quite an asymmetric relationship. It, it always is with star athletes and their agents, but even more so since anybody could negotiate what these guys are going to get. So uh, I think it's created this odd circumstance where uh, sometimes the agents are paying the player or they're not really making any money off the player. And it's just burnishing their reputation. And you hear rumors about it. And the way you really get rich in agenting, if anybody listening All is right, trying so to what's get... a rumor? Who, who's, uh, who's an agent that's playing which player? <laughs> Can you tell us? Oh, my God. Should I scoop myself? I would say this. I would say that uh, this year's number one pick 
shocker of shockers is represented by an agency that has no real footprint in the NBA as of yet. Um, and he was being recruited by CAA and Clutch quite aggressively and just winds up with something called Lyft run by Mike Miller out of nowhere. Uh, very odd, very strange, very weird. Very strange. Why is that? And um, <laughs> the, now, why is that? <laughs> the, but, um, you know, that agent, though, that he wasn't expected to go number one. I mean, the gambling markets had it, but it wasn't reported that he was going to go number one until like, you know, right before the draft. So um, maybe he actually got his reverse money's worth out of I that. I mean, oh, dude, you're connecting some dots that, hey, we have no proof of anything out here on this call. But yes, a lot of why is that with the double finger point happening in, <laughs> in the NBA? And I don't want to I don't want to pretend like I know exactly what's going on there. I'm just saying that it, it raises eyebrows when the number one pick in the NBA draft is represented by an agency seemingly out of nowhere. We're, we're hitting the good stuff right off the bat tonight. So <laughs> are there any um, petty media squabbles that you became mm. privy to for the first time out in the desert? Uh, I don't know if I became privy to a petty media squabble. I might have started a couple. Yeah, I, I might have... <laughs> I might have gotten a little too loose with it and started a couple myself. Something I noticed, though, is that the ringer seems to have the best, is the French pronunciation esprit de corps? Like, they, they seem to be cohesive out there in the desert. I, I went to a, a Top Golf event, and their booth was all ringer people, whereas everybody else was mingling. So there's something that they're doing out there at the ringer where they're kind of building – they're building the sense of uh, being uh, on the same team and having fun. Frankly, in a very miserable media business, they seem to, uh, on average, uh, seem to have more fun. So I'm just that's, that out there. Um, that's interesting. You know, I, I bet you it's because a lot of them – well, I, I do think a lot – the NBA um, crew especially – they work together in an office, which is kind of like rare among teams mm. in the media. Yeah. Yeah. I felt like an idiot because I kept asking where everybody lives and they all said LA. And so, oh yeah, right. You work for the ringer. Of course you live in LA. That, that makes Not sense. everybody does. They've got, yeah. you know, a select few, a scan, uh, a scattering here and there, but yeah, I Vernon. think that they, they really, that's something they put an emphasis on at least, um, for their ground ranks, you know, um, that you come up through there and that the person to person contact, it seems to at least work well for their morale. And, you know, for a while there was like, it's not, you know, there's bad morale everywhere, but what you're describing is relatively new. There was, you know, before a few years ago, there wasn't as much of what you're describing as I observed, yeah. but I think the unhappy people, got other jobs and for whatever reason they seem to replenish the ranks with people who yes. enjoy it more yes there was a, a purge of the miserable perhaps um and yeah now you have people like uh, my guy was who how could you hang out with was and not have a good time it's it's just completely impossible i don't know um, was if you're listening come to chicago so i can um <laughs> so you can I mean, the guy, he, he's an eater i mean that's the other the recommendation i'm going to throw out there to the listeners Mion. there are multiple locations in the la area there is one in vegas my favorite place uh when we're talking 
mid-level hole-in-the-wall type of restaurant. Uh, Sichuan cold noodle. Spicy Ooh. Sichuan cold uh, Sichuan peppercorn, vinegary, peanutty, garlicky. I, I That might be my death row meal. Uh, so I have a Vegas that. food rep recommendation as well um hear it it's i it's istanbul something i think it's cafe istanbul it's a donor mm. kebab european style donor kebab shop in the middle of the vegas strip like is it gonna win a james beer award of course not but mm. um you know 1 a.m 2 a.m even 3 a.m you might have had a cocktail or three mm. um it, it's a special sandwich I, I like me some Oshaval out there, and uh, is that the way to you know that it started in Chicago? Well, that's why I'm throwing a Chicago thing at you. Um, I, right I live like a half mile from Small Cheval, which is basically just that stripped down to just the burger. And mm. um, I somehow haven't gone. Yeah, I've obviously been there, but I haven't gone since I moved to my house at the end of February. All right, we're boring people. Yeah, we're, we're or, or delighting them, depending on their foodies. Uh, I want to give a thank you. I see Domin in the listeners. Uh, he convinced me to buy a general admission ticket. I went there not saying I was not going to go to the, the gym where they're doing summer league. I was just going to do dinners and lunches and hang out. I'm not officially a member of the media. I am something more special and more snobby, obviously. Um, <laughs> and uh, Domin told me to get a general admit ticket. And I think it was great going to the gym and seeing everybody. But I looked like an asshole because I was trying to, I was, I was protesting. I was saying, I don't, I'm going to get stopped all the time. I'm going to see all these people. I know, you know, it's going to be five faces conversation, five faces conversation. I went in there without the lanyard and without the name tag. And I was just moving about the crowd completely freely, uh, not getting stopped at all. And I, maybe it has something to do with my diminished renown, Ryan, but I think it's really more that if you wear your literal name tag, there are people in your industry who kind of, they sort of recognize you and then they can confirm uh, when they scan. Yeah. Down. But otherwise it's, well, maybe it's the guy I think, and maybe it's a 50, 50. I mean, I was going through that. I saw Andy Miller, the agent. I was like, is that Andy Miller? And that's like, oh, yeah, that is Andy Miller. I mean, I was doing it the whole time, and I realized that it's a way to move about that team. But for those who don't know and are a little curious, um, I think NBA Summer League's a great event. Uh, it is my favorite NBA event by far. And it's a fun industry event, but it's also a fun just fan event. Uh, you get to – you buy one ticket. There are two arenas. They are connected by a concourse. One is more of a little band box, high school size gymnasium. The other is a legit college stadium. And you can just move back and forth. And as you do in this very small setting, you will see just every retired NBA player walking by you. Um, and they're very tall, so they're hard to miss. And you can, you know, you can say hi to your Allen Houstons uh, should you run into them. Um, and I just think it's a, it's, it's a great event. It's positive. Everybody's relaxed. And it's something where you could it be, work if they did it at a place that was 20 degrees cooler. No, it could not work. It needs to be in Las Vegas. It only works because it's in Las Vegas. And it's it's a situation where you can be with a general admission ticket 40 feet from LeBron James. Maybe you can you can do that. There's no other place to do that. And yeah, everybody's relaxed and they're relaxed because they're in Vegas and they're up until 2 a.m. to 3 a.m. gambling and drinking. And that's that's the situation. And it's it's fantastic. Uh, it's fantastic. 
Also funny, incidentally, a Warriors executive was saying, why not us about getting KD? And I kind of shrugged and laughed. I thought, no way, you're kidding. Uh, and I never dug into it because it's not really my beat anymore. And now it's hey, maybe he was maybe he was serious. I don't know. I, I I'd be astonished if it happens. <laughs> it seems like something that's um, when it when it's like telegraphed like this, and you know everybody's talking about it as a possibility. It tends to not happen. I know that Woj forecasted Durant to the um, Warriors way back when it like originally happened, but it wasn't like this where like several reporters are hearing rumblings and leak sources think it might happen and Steph allegedly called Durant and said let me get more rings than LeBron like Durant would care about Steph mm. having more rings than LeBron um yeah but it, it just I I I think and I've been saying this the whole time actually I think the Nets just squat on them because yeah. Durant isn't going to be one of those guys like He's not Ben Simmons where he's just going to tank a whole year of his, like, the end of He loves basketball, prime. yeah. He loves uh, basketball too much. That's his problem. I think of him like I thought of Aaron Rodgers a year ago where it's like he, he, your choice is to not play the thing you, like, love or um, to just suck it up and play and hope for the best. And you, once you, you're in there, your competitive juice is flowing. You want to be the best. You want to win another title badly. Now the Nets might not be in the greatest position to do that, but as long as if they have healthy Durant and Irving and both of them are engaged, it's like within the realm of possibility. You never know that the Warriors are going to stay healthy again. You know, they yeah. there's all sorts of things that can come into play. So I think that he doesn't get traded, but yeah, you could have been with the first to the rumor that there's mm. chatter. Yeah, yeah, there's chatter. Or the, the Warriors are always fucking around like that. They're not they're not uptight like the other organizations. They talk loose. They like to be coy uh, in a sort of just stir-in-the-pot way. And I, I really, it's somebody else's job to chase all that down. It's not my job. But let's, let's, let's uh, fixate on something in regards to this. Uh, and then maybe take a question from Grant and whoever else before, before changing topics. Adam Silver had his annual Board of Governors. Uh, Can we not call, don't call it the Board of Governors? It's the please. owners. It's the owners. Nobody grows up aspiring. I'm to so like, I'm so sick of it. Like we we don't like you know when they changed the name of um, Miller Park to American Family Field. You don't have to call it American Family. Field. You don't. You we don't keep calling it Miller Park. We can keep calling NBA owners owners. We yeah. don't have to say Board of Governors just because they do. Yeah, I mean, I think of it as the Board of Governors just because that's the title of the event. But um, and so it just gets weird to say Board of Owners. But yeah, anyway, it's the State NFL, of the Union. They say NFL owners meetings, MLB owners meetings, and yeah. um, you know, the world keeps spinning. Well, okay, so to, to fill people in, what what happens is the owners get together, they yell at each other. Uh, the Warriors are doing well. They point and they scream at Joe Lacob, um, and Joe Lacob beats his chest, and they try to conspire against the Warriors. I might have a very Warriors uh, lens on the whole on the whole thing and how it goes down. Um, and uh, usually, it's at the win, and then afterwards, Adam Silver will come out and he will 
do a press conference and he will uh, he, he'll just say it's one where you can get more information than at the finals where he does another one of these state of the unions because there's just nobody really around. They don't send too many people to get the info from Adam Silver. And uh, one of the noises Silver made was saying that he doesn't like players requesting trades. And to me, that seems to be an obvious that seems to be an obvious thing not to like. Um, it's a harder question as to how to stop it from happening. That's a whole other conversation. But it immediately it's all his up. league partners talk about in their content. Yes. Well, yeah. And then you have this circumstance where I do think there's been this issue um, ever since, and it's connected to the news breaking becoming the thing ESPN's obsessed with. And we can talk about the Schefter profile later. Uh, the short version is that if you want to break news on Twitter first, you need to be in good with agents. To be in good with agents, you need to say what the agents want you to say. The agents want you to kiss the ass of their players, so your content becomes all about kissing the ass of players. So I think that's contributed to how, when Silver says that, you've got people on ESPN arguing against it and saying that it's just some sort of great circumstance when guys sign $200 million contracts and say, get me out of here, I'm unhappy. With four years left. Yeah, hell no, that's not a good circumstance. And when you play the, you know, the I don't, scenario. Why did Durant even sign it? Why, did, <laughs> why didn't he just go year to year? He already proved he can literally tear his Achilles and still get the max. Like, why is he... Um, locking himself into these things when he knows or at least should know that he's like emotionally inconsistent well because of all that the brooklyn nets are paying him under the table just kidding that's a joke that's a joke it's uh yeah it's imagine just, if like it really did come out that they were paying him in this like bitcoin and now he's mad because it's lost like 60 percent of his time <laughs> Maybe that's the uh, that's the explanation for so much of what has happened in that relationship. But yeah, people will make the point that I, I think it was Richard Jefferson saying, oh, they're thinking about trading Donovan Mitchell and nobody's mad at the team for doing that, but they're mad at players for requesting a trade. Those are different things, right? Because this is what goes unsaid about the requesting a trade. You're not simply requesting a trade. You're not simply saying, oh, please, can you maybe trade me? It's a threat. It's, I'm going to tank. I'm going to give shitty effort. I'm going to be a problem in the locker room. You can only send me to these two places. Yes, yes. It's a different scenario. And the idea is that in order to make hundreds of millions of dollars, you sign on for the possibility that you can be traded. It's, as Don Draper says what the money is for and no it's not good for your sport when guys are signing these long-term deals and asking out of them so uh, hey the first step is admitting you have a problem and so good on adam silver i think for acknowledging it as an issue it's, and it's idiotic really, for the uh, league partners to, uh, to the, argue the, otherwise owners are going to need to enforce like a pretty like long lockout to get these things that they want. Do they have the like gumption for it? Like the, the NFL owners and MLB owners, like we haven't had a long labor stoppage in the NFL for a long time because the careers are so short and the players can be divided into the rank and file who just want like they, like half the players are like two or three year careers. And they mm -hmm. are not missing games. Like 
the NBA players could have real resolve um, to like miss a lot of time. And I don't like, could, would the NBA owners be willing to cancel a whole year to like put an end to, to like what Adam Silver's talking about? Cause if they're not, then they're not going to solve this. I, I know who's going to be the squeamish one. I, I, I know who's going to squeal. It's, it's Mark Cuban with his 70% of investments in crypto. That's the guy who's going to be, uh, can we wrap this up? Can we get the season going? This is uh you know, I really need it to, uh, I need the money spigot to turn on again. I mean, look, the way I see it, a superstar is more powerful than an owner, but the owners are more powerful than the players. Um, you get all that money, you get it relatively cohesive, 30 people in lockstep will break over 400 people. And that's just how these things have gone. And if there is a lockout, I mean, there's a chance that there's enough money in all this that there's not going to be one. So, uh, okay, Domin's in there. I want to take a call from Domin and then Grant. Let's say I just Domin's going to be talking some shit. I, I want to see what he's going to be saying. Uh, Domin, Domin Ringula of Laker Twitter fame slash Shatekery. How you doing? Yeah. How's it going, guys? A very, a very talented broadcaster, by the oh, way. Oh, I appreciate that. Uh, trying, trying to catch up. Uh, no, mm. I, I actually, I, I was so fascinated uh, by your conversation about the trade demand stuff. And I really think that, you know, the NBA is so unique in terms of the power a superstar has, not only on the court where they're playing, you know, 40 out of 48 minutes, they're playing on both ends. A single superstar can have more of a win-loss impact than I think in any other team sport. It's like the most individual of team sports, I think, that's out there. And for that reason, I actually don't I, – I think that this trade – you can't stop trade demands. Mm. I think what you can do, though, I think the actual solution is, as I've kind of been toying around this uh, idea in my head, is I actually think the problem isn't the trade demand necessarily. It's that the trade demands happen, and it's to one specific place. Like the Kevin Durant situation yeah. right now, he's on contract for four years. If he's unhappy in Brooklyn, well, there's really not much you can do about that. But the problem is, is if you say I'm only going to go to Phoenix, that is where the team runs into like an impossible situation. Yeah. And there's so no team that can give up what it takes to acquire him. And Windows has been banging his right. fist on the table saying this, that can give all that up and then still compete with right. him. Well, I, I and I think I, that's for sure, and especially given Kevin Durant's age, like he's at the age now where you really it, it becomes hard to expect him to be that superstar for eighty-two games and carry a team in the playoffs. So you also have to be mindful of that. Yeah, and you're um, on the hook to pay him like fifty million dollars, sixty million dollars right. in like twenty twenty-six. And, and yeah. I wonder, I, I wonder if the actual solution to this is to actually make trade demands more formal. Mm. And and force players like, hey, if you want to demand a trade, you have to officially do it, like file paperwork, and you have to list like ten teams you'd be willing to get traded to, or something like that. Oh, it, and they'll t and a chunk of your salary is taken away if you. Uh, I I don't know. There's got to be some sort of deep right. There I would actually say formalize it rather than what happens now, because I don't mm. think trade demands are going away anytime while players have. Uh, the role that they do. And I don't think that, I think it's structural to the sport and the league. That's not going anywhere. Yeah. And not only the win loss, as you say, but 
a player at this juncture, a superstar might add, I mean, how much value did LeBron add to Cleveland while he was there in terms of their overall, overall franchise value? They at least 20 franchise. bucks. <laughs> at least 20 bucks, yes. Certainly more value than he added to Brittany Griner's uh, attempt at getting out of Russia, I would say. Foreshadowing, yes. foreshadowing. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just so much money is on the line there. And it, it, formalization, I think, would be a good idea. The NBA is in need of broader, I think, formalization. It is getting a little haphazard behind the scenes because there's just so much money Involved in loyalty uh, isn't what it once was, and uh, I, they, I, they thought they were going to solve it with like this these like fifth year things. But if you could demand a trade credibly with four years left on a deal, then that doesn't matter. Yeah. It like I've said this before, but the max contracts are so stupid. Like I I get the salary cap and the luxury tax, although I'd probably would get rid of those too if I were God of sports, but Mm. the max contracts just make like no sense that you have like, you know, Durant and DeAndre Ayton, other than the amount of years that they've played in the NBA should not be paid the same, you know? And so the salary matching on the trades is dumb too. I don't, I would get rid of that. Aiton has screwed Kevin Durant. More specifically, the Phoenix Suns have screwed Kevin Durant because they have such contempt for Aiton that they couldn't hide it, and they've hurt his trade value. They are so annoyed with him and think he's so unserious, and for whatever reason, just couldn't keep it to themselves. Like So many opinions about players are kept to oneself, so... It's just known now. I mean, his value, like based on his numbers, right? His value should be so much more what it is. But the Suns, Plus, have been, you know, he was picked highly, so he's been touted for a long time. A lot of touting, much touting, a lot of doubt. You know, James Wiseman. Yeah, and levels they were the doubt. best team in the NBA by a lot until you know Chris Paul had his like annual injury in the postseason, and so, um, yeah, no, to your point. You would think that like eight and and like eight first round picks or whatever would be enough for Durant actually, and it doesn't seem to be. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, God, what a what a mess, what an incredible mess. Although I do think Phoenix would be the most aesthetically pleasing landing spot. Um, oh, it Dragon would be Qu- the I yeah. Well, the Bulls would be the mm. the va- I mean, they'd never trade him to the Knicks, so. We can scratch that off, but like a real superstar in the Bulls or the Knicks would be very nice for the NBA. It would be. I just think there'd be juice to the Suns uh, reloaded going against the Warriors in the Western Conference Finals. And I saw Dragonfly Jones was saying uh, that David Stern would shit all over the idea of Kevin Durant going to Phoenix. I think it's the best spot No, he'd like that. He would yeah. shit on the idea of him going to Golden State. That would not be allowed in David Stern's um, no. like communist regime. Yeah, and by the way, when we talk about implied threats, right? You know, implied threats, the threats nobody can articulate – they do make the world go round. and they're Man, really- just imagine David Stern 
in the Ben Simmons situation. No, there's no way. There's no way to be handled in the lame way that, that Adam Silver handled it. And uh, it's it's soft power backed by some hard power. And with David Stern, you, you didn't know. You, you would officially assume everything was on the up and up. And then you would wonder how you might be refed in the playoffs if he was pissed off at you. You would wonder. <laughs> and you would maybe have some reason to wonder. And that sort of threat, it carries some weight. And it just doesn't seem like it doesn't It'd be like for a, a great yeah. TV show. Oh, yeah. Oh, that would make for a great, that would make for a fantastic TV show. Um, but there, there's no there's no threat. Nobody worries about what's going to be done to their career if they keep upsetting the apple cart. So, lo and behold, everybody's upsetting the apple cart. And maybe the none of The fact that, like, yeah. Kyrie, the Lakers still wanted him but just couldn't meet the Nets' price tells you all you need to know. Yeah. Well, hey, it, they're going to get paid out. They're going to sign a big, lavish TV deal, even though they lost half their audience. And so maybe the theme of the show is... Uh, misaligned incentives or incentives not existing, uh, and that's that's just what it is. But let's take let's take the, the the call from Grant. Let's see what Grant Grant has up his sleeve here. All right, how are we doing? We're doing great. great. Having me on. I, I just a quick point, not not what I called in to say, but I love this sort of myth making about David Stern, like yeah. he is some sar from it, Russia. It, it, that like, but yeah, yeah. So I, no, 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 no. We are kind of bullshit. We are doing the thing where um, the wrong kid died. If anybody remembers yeah, yeah, that yeah, reference yeah, from uh, Dewey the Dewey Cox. Cox thing, but yeah, of course. Of course. <laughs> um, but anyway, so but just one quick point on the Stern thing. If David Stern is the commissioner, that Kevin Durant parentheses two that uh, his that his foot was online. That's a three. I think like we can guarantee <laughs> that thing. I don't think I don't think he fixes Ben Simmons with a couple phone calls. But Brooklyn with Harden and Kyrie and Kevin Durant doesn't lose to Milwaukee in the second round, and I can guarantee that. <laughs> um, cool. So a couple other points. Um, uh, just you kind of answered this already. I was wondering, like, what it feels like for you, sort of re um, uh, Ethan specifically, like going back in sort of a traditional media space like the summer league. After mm. you've ruffled some feathers, you've kicked some sand on some ESPN folks. Are you a persona non grata or? You know, I picture you as sort of like a, almost like an investigative journalist looking around for a deep throat in, in Las Vegas. But, um, <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll let you answer that. Yeah, it's you feel very liminal. You feel very in between worlds. It, Summer League is a place of pulsating status anxiety where everybody's trying to see where they fit in and where they measure up. And um, I, I didn't totally know where I fit, but. I, I got more into the swing of it. You know, if I was there for more than a couple of days, I think I would have kind of found my routine and my, my place. I, I would, uh, I hung out with some people that Domin was hanging out with. Um, I eventually would gravitate to, uh, I'm not Gen X, but I found myself gravitating to the Gen X table of the athletic writers. Uh, I may or may not have run into a certain newsbreaker at ESPN. He may or may not have done a double take. And then uh, stared at me my entire walk down the uh, the hallway at the wind. Yeah, that should be like kind of like a western sound, but like instead of uh, he's like so, he's, so uh, you and Windhorse sized yeah. each other up. Huh? <laughs> he has like two phones instead of like uh, you know revolvers. 
Well, what he does typically, he's he's oddly very non-confrontational. The person I'm referencing, and I've heard I've heard it from multiple people that if there's an issue, he looks down and looks away, and then when you're walking away and you turn, he's he's glaring at you, which is you know my uh, my experience there. I thought it would be funny to walk up maybe and say, "Oh, there's a big big piece coming out tomorrow." Yeah, I'm sorry, but no, I'm not gonna fuck around like that. Um, is there so, a positive correlation with being confrontational and being good on TV? Mm, I think so. I would say so. Um, yeah. But yeah. I don't think – I have no idea if Schefter is confrontational and he's pretty good on TV. So I think there are mm-hmm. different ways to do it, certainly. But um, the the most NBA-ish event – I went to this summer league party – and I was with Amin El Hassan and Tom Haberstroh, and I didn't even know it was a party. We we had had dinner, and Amin was just walking with purpose somewhere, and then walking to the front of a line because he had been master of ceremonies at Summer League. And Warren Legary, the founder of Summer League, and uh, just like a you know boomer hippie Ari Gold is the best way to describe Warren Legary. Uh, he just said, "Come on in, I mean," and then it's like, "Oh, Ethan," and it just that felt kind of good. It to be in the warm embrace of status and skipping a line when you've been out of the game. So that that felt pretty good. But mm-hmm. then once I'm mm-hmm. in there and I'm at this party that has a bunch of nerdy media people, but also. Uh, Chandler Parsons and just random NBAers and, and ex NBAers there. Um, the people who know what I do know, and we can have a conversation about it. But the people who don't know what I do, when the decibels uh, get up there and there's a lot of chaos, I really have no shot of explaining it. I, I don't have an elevator pitch for what's going on, even if it's working. So that was mm-hmm. the other. That was the other stumbling block. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Cool. Yeah. And then yeah. I have one other one other bigger media point on the Warriors that I was curious about. And um, so you guys had made the point and you noticed that ratings were relatively down despite the dream matchup between Boston and Golden State. Um, yeah. We talked about like the value of team building both as a means to an end in building good basketball teams and building a uh, sustained fan interest in the league. So I'm wondering if we the collective we as the basketball watching public has villainized the Warriors to the point where their model um, seems like it's what we don't want. And like, uh, mm-hmm. I remember this example that Amin used uh, discussing like the Spurs starting uh, like resting their players and they weren't paying for the pizza. And it works if you have 20 people and one person doesn't pay for the pizza, but now no one's paying for the pizza. Yes. So it's yes. like the Classic Warriors were picking up the tab in terms of like doing things the right way for a while while still getting villainized. And like you have uh, a media, sometimes extremely pro LeBron, sometimes just his former teammates hammering that the Warriors are these cheating Saza Pachulia villains that play the game the wrong way and are in the way of LeBron, who's the real hero that switches teams every four years. And I wonder if we have like, we're in like this post LeBron narrative area uh, where uh, like mm. a story like the 2022 Warriors, like the ratings are nerfed of where they should be. Mm. There's a lot going on there. I don't know if people have thought it through that much. I think what it revealed was that without the Warriors, that number would have been abysmal. It was simply bad, but I think without them, it would have been it would have been There's abysmal. A big concern for you know the next several years whenever they don't make it. Yeah, and thankfully the Warriors seem like they they might be going on one of those runs. They, again, they'll probably so. make half of the next four, I'd say. 
Ooh, that would be, yeah, that would be quite, quite the outcome. Um, and, you know, I, we can connect it to Windhorse viral moment. I, I think the way Ainge builds teams is more what you want to market. And there's something odd about the Celtics building a team slowly through drafted players, which theoretically should connect with, uh, with the public and not having... You know, for all the complaints about the over Boston sportsification of the discourse, it just seems like that team should have more of a connection with the public. And I don't know. I don't have a good answer to what Grant is saying, but I'm intrigued by some of what he's saying. What do you think, Ryan? Yeah, uh, it's uh, we we've gone over like the reasons for the dip a million times. I I I just think that the um the public doesn't think that the players care about their entertainment. True. Um, Fact check. True. And for, you know, do baseball and football players actually care about the fans entertainment? No, but football at least is marketed much better. It's marketed. Well, they're real they gladiators. Care. They put it, they're putting their body on the line in a way that is visceral and is instant credibility, regardless of what they're saying. Yeah, um, and with baseball, I mean, baseball has dipped pretty much in accordance with the yeah. NBA over the last 30 years or so, and so... Um, <laughs> baseball is so stupid. Rob Manfred is so... I, I don't know the man, but as a lead... He's, for all we complain about Adam Silver... Yeah, I, imagine I, if Rob Manfred ran the NBA. <laughs> he's so much worse, and he's worse in part because he looks up to Adam Silver and tries to tail Adam Silver and tries to be like the NBA with a sport and a fan base that is just nothing, nothing like it. And, um, it's, it's its own ball of problems, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I I, I don't, the, yeah. Players staying on teams longer would help the I came, I'm keep coming back to this, but the NBA really misses the bulls and the Knicks being relevant. You look at, when they peaked in the nineties and how those teams had battles every year. It's the two of the three biggest markets in America. Like, I'm sorry, but people just don't identify the nets, especially when it's a collection of mercenaries with like being New York city. They didn't resonate locally. um, At least not to the extent that you would expect like a big winner popping up in the neighborhood of like transplants, you should be looking to gravitate towards them. And so I, the Knicks and Bulls being good, I think would solve like half of the NBA's problems. I think so too. But then I thought that LeBron going to the Lakers would be more of a boon to the league than it actually was. And I think it's just ineffable. And the, the, how much of that, had to do with the fact that these Lakers fans and maybe Domin can speak to this if he wants to come back, but Lakers fans are so obsessed with Kobe and they like put Kobe on a pedestal over LeBron. And it was like, you know, Kobe versus LeBron for like a number of years. And I just think that Lakers fans love of Kobe made them not um, embrace LeBron. Like we might've thought they would have from the outside. Yeah, but they were correct to do so, I think, because it just wasn't real. But, like, if they didn't have that affinity with Kobe, like, the Bulls Mm. fans and the Knicks fans, if they got a title with LeBron, 
even if it was a bubble title, they would be very reverential. Mm, okay, well, the second you said Kobe, Domin jumped into the queue. So let's see what he's got to say on it. Uh, classic Kobe overrated or Domin. Yes. <laughs> yeah, listen, uh, uh, Kobe's been moving up the rankings. You know, you see how Kevin Durant is kind of handling leading a franchise and you know, LeBron's struggling a little here. So No, but jokes aside, um, the I, I think that the Lakers didn't generate the pop when LeBron got here. More than anything, it's because the Lakers have such a stable sort of fan base that's pretty rabid that I think the addition of LeBron to a market mm. like Los Angeles, I think I like the net it. effect is not going to be that big. Also, and I think, Ethan, you've you've written about this. It, it, him coming to the West Coast probably hurt in terms of overall ratings uh, just yep. because, you know, most of the games, his home games are starting at 1030 Eastern now uh, when he was in the central time zone before. But if he went to a team that didn't have I think Ohio's that, in the East, but yeah. Right, right. Uh, oh, okay, got it, right. And and But I think so, for example, had LeBron gone to Brooklyn like Kevin Durant did, I think that might have been a pop, uh, although obviously the Knicks being probably maybe another opportunity. But I just think with the Lakers, like, yes, definitely there was an addition of some bandwagon fans, uh, certainly LeBron fans, in terms of attention on the Lakers. But I think in terms of viewership, the Lakers fan base is pretty built in. Even when the Lakers struggled, their game still rated pretty well in comparison yeah. to other teams. And so I think that that's why the actual pop wasn't there. Those are yeah, good I think points. The high floor. And I think the main issue is that LeBron is really cringe now. I mean, that's that's really the main issue. We, we, think... this is a, we can use this as our... Um... Our pivot? Yeah, pivot to yeah. LeBron. And I'm sorry since Sean is in the queue if Sean doesn't want to comment on LeBron being cringe, but um, yes. So uh, LeBron, who I don't think was cringe, he maybe did a thing or two that was cringe, but he wasn't overexposed back in the day. Um, now I think there's some overexposure. For instance, Domin. Social media hasn't been good for LeBron. No, and, and, and true for a lot of people, which is why I try to stay away from it. It just makes you look foolish. It's got this magical capacity to rob you of your mystique and beclown you for the masses. Um, so do you want to go through the expository of this uh, <laughs> this LeBron, Brittany Griner yeah. thing? All right. So it, he he's on the shop. And by the way, I'll, I'll get to this, but uh, that, there's a clip that comes out of him on the shop where Trailer. he says, um, I like, if I were Brittany Griner, I'm not sure I would want to come back to the United States. <laughs> She's been incarcerated for 110 days. I'd feel like the country doesn't have my back. And it's like, uh, it's of the stupidest things he's ever said. This really might have been the dumbest. It's so stupid. I mean, look. There will be some surrounding context, maybe, because this is a snippet in a trailer for his TV show that his people put out there. So, right, is- yeah, they clipped it and isolated it because they knew <laughs> it would drive conversation, and they had to know, like, they had to know how it would be received, right? Yeah, um, I, I mean, did they? By the way. We're on season five of the shop. I it, it feels just like yesterday that the shop was uh, coming out there. I have to admit that I have not watched every uh, every episode of the shop, which 
I think in a way does uh, illustrate some of the fan repelling trends of the last few years are, are on that show that ironically uh, fans or maybe not ironically, but uh, well, the, the show moved from HBO where it is rated by Netflix and we can really judge the metrics to YouTube where um, I think YouTube viewership can be gamed yeah. and it's not necessarily meritocratic because I, you know, the Google and Twitch and all of these big tech companies um, tailor their algorithms and their stats in ways that are opaque and yeah. fit whatever they really, frankly, want to do. And so I don't trust the the viewership as much as I would trust Nielsen ratings. Well, yeah, and I think one of the reasons why some of the what's discussed, look, celebrities have their own perspective on life, um, obviously, by dint of their position. Um, it's why when I'm asked about Summer League, I, I was happy to talk about it because I'm a celebrity, so I'm insinuating. But no, no, what I'm saying is that I have a particular position as a media industry schlub. And when somebody asks me about it and I start talking about my summer league experience, it's not the common summer league experience. And in right, my you're head, cutting start- the line with Amin Al Hassan. Exactly. Who, yeah. Um, and- and know, so, Levitard show with Sugat's contributor, Amin Al Hassan. <laughs> the um, Amin Al Hassan. But I'm saying that in my mind, I'm wondering okay, is this, do I sound like a douchebag right now, you know, when I'm talking about this? And I think that celebrities have those circumstances and some of them just don't have that filter. And I don't think that that filter is present on that show. And the the Griner thing, you can almost understand the point he's making, that he thinks that more should be done to get her back. But, but- what, if LeBron is GM of America, is he trading the merchant of death, like this arms dealer that Russia wants back in a trade who (laughs) is in jail here for 25 years after like a global scouring of the earth for him. Um, Every there, there are hypocrisies everywhere and everybody's got them, but I am amused by the hypocrisy of people who are ardently for gun control going, but come on, we need the merchant of death out there. You know, we need yeah, the we greatest need armor. Give him, give him the merchant of death. Who cares? Uh, <laughs> I mean, the no, merchant I of, feel really bad yeah. for her. And we, sh- I, you know, every time we make we, jokes we about it. We both would like Brittany Griner to be freed. And even, well, okay, so here's the analogy. Uh, because it's complicated. I think part of what's frustrating about this situation of Griner, and for those who don't know, uh, the Russian government alleges that she was transporting uh, weed and vape cartridges through the country. I have no it's not reason. Like she was trafficking them. She's going to yeah. like a remote place yeah. where I'd want vape cartridges there too. Yes. Yeah. And I think the circumstance out there is the American players were treated like they were above the law. They got to jump the metaphorical line with Amin Al Hassan. And suddenly, when the United States funded uh, a war, not funded because Russia started the war, but is funding uh, the war against Russia in Ukraine, the rules changed immediately and they they pulled her card and they, they locked her up for what I believe she was probably doing without any kind of fear that anything would happen. And I think we are, are hashtag free Britney, um, but at the same time, it gets annoying when the people speaking on her behalf are externalizing the blame. 
and acting as though it's America's fault I, for not doing enough or, you know, it's because she's a black woman. I have a hypothetical yeah. question. Well, and I want to get back to LeBron, but I want to ask this hypothetical question about Brian. I I want to get my metaphor off first. Right, sorry, go, then, go, get it yeah, up. And then we will go to hypothetical land. Right, you know, it's a little off. similar to if somebody... I don't know, like drove into a river, right? Uh, maybe it was, they, their judgment was impaired. They're in, it's like they're in trouble. We have a responsibility to try to save them, right? That is part of our social contract. Uh, but we also recognize that they did something really stupid and are inconveniencing the system. That's where I'm at with Brittany Griner. I think that's where a lot of people are at. And it's not being, uh, it's not being articulated that she really fucked up. She wasn't showing good judgment. We still have a responsibility to try to save her, but we should stop acting like this is everybody else's fault. Okay. Right. Yeah. Um, if Donald Trump went to Sherelle <laughs> and Brittany Griner and said, I will get you, I will, like, go around the government, talk directly to Putin, and get you home tomorrow. But you yeah. have to sit at a press conference with me and thank me for it. Would they mm. do it? Oh, my God. Um, I mean, yes. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that would happen. I think, yeah. I, it, it, but I don't know if this situation even comes about if Trump is in charge, uh, it, it, Hey, you, you, uh, you, you make the accusation for years. He's a Putin lover and you deny that there are benefits to being a Putin lover. <laughs> like <laughs> you, you don't have a, you don't do have you, a situation. I think he like could this. get them home if he decide if they, if they would do that. But, um, yeah, yeah. I think, I think it could potentially work. Uh, yeah. I mean, man, I mean, I, I, we're, we float so many weird hypotheticals on this. I threw out the hypothetical. That, that's not like that weird. He could no, do that. It could happen. Instead, they're sending the former governor of New Mexico out there to work whatever magic. And, you know, I, I'm forgetting the merchant of death's name. Uh, Laura Wagner at the defector was arguing that the trade should be made, that the merchant of death should uh, be traded for Griner. Um, and, we give credit to Wagner. I, I don't think that the ex-Gockerites are our favorite people in the world. The defector has uh, taken some shots at you, but she, I think uh, she works harder than a lot of other people and uh, gets, gets some scoops. Uh, but I don't know if I'd be as glib as she is about it because it seems like this guy is the greatest at arming people in conflicts. And, she makes the point that he has armed the United States and helped the United States. So it's not like he's morally uh, inferior to us, um, which, okay, fine. I mean, I don't like a lot of United States foreign policy, but if you do believe in, I think gun control, and I do believe to a degree in gun control, just the idea of there's more of something uh, more will be done with that thing. Right. Like I think yeah. prohibitions, prohibitions tend to work at whatever they are, uh, trying to limit and then we can have a, another conversation about other externalities and uh civil liberties and everything else but if this guy is the greatest of all time or one of the greatest at transporting weapons in all these hot zone conflicts is this not going to increase the sum total misery of in the world substantially 
I, I mean, if he's just if, if you have a circumstance where he can just keep doing what he does, that's fairly logical. Also, I mean, it should at least there be it like should a at least bribe be, number. Like, what can we find out what the bribe number is and have a GoFundMe or something? Like, yeah, yeah, that would be cool. I mean, I I would be more open to that. That there's just a, a fee. Hundred million dollars? Can we raise it? Yeah, I think so. Well, that would be that would be fascinating if the the GoFundMe didn't raise the money and all the guillotine over it and everything else. I think eventually a billionaire. No. Just... Yeah. The end, Mark Cuban or someone would just pony it all up, but yeah. Um, yeah. Whatever, like what's find out what the number is and just pay it. Like th- there's gotta be a number. They gotta have a price on it, but um, <laughs> I want to get back to LeBron. Yes. Um, so Le- Le- do you want to talk about the tweet or do you want me to talk? About oh, it? just how we think that the, uh, the cleaning up the mess tweet is not written by him. Yes. Read it. So I'll read it. Um, yeah. he, he goes, my comments on the shop regarding Brittany Griner wasn't knocking our beautiful country. I was simply saying, by the way, I've never heard him refer to America positively like that, but, um, I was simply saying how she's probably feeling emotionally all along with so many other emotions, thoughts, etc. inside that cage she's been in for over a hundred plus days. Long story short, bring her home. You know, in between the shop video, which by the way, his team cut up and amplified. He owns yes. the shop. They distribute it. They decided to put that in the trailer without context so we would all see it and talk about it it wasn't like people just took one line out of an hour and they were the ones who found it and did it which also could happen but he his team amplified this so he had an instagram go up in the middle of these two events the trailer getting released and everyone immediately reacting negatively to it and then the um, clarification, so to speak, is like a picture of him smiling, and the caption was me laughing when I see negativity yeah. around trying to derail my happiness. As if, like, you know, the okay, yeah, we're just trying to derail. You made the dumbest point of all time, and <laughs> we're the bad guys for trying to derail your happiness. I, I know this is such a cliche thing to point out about people. But he hates Trump so much, and there's so much personality and persona overlap that it is hard to ignore. Uh, it, it's uh, it's not exactly polar polar opposites when it comes to the impulsiveness, when it comes to the megalomania, when it comes to how everything is everybody else's fault. Um, you see, you see a lot of overlap. Is all I'm saying, and this is. Just this is just another this is another circumstance, and it's oh god it's it, it i don't I don't know what he's been doing for the last few years. It almost just seems like he's he's been in a hole and he just digs deeper and deeper, and it's unfortunate for the league and unfortunate for a guy who has a claim to being the greatest player of all time i mean i i how do about think, him like calling it our beautiful country our beautiful, that, was a, um, that sounds trumpy that actually. was a vibe shift. Yeah, yeah, our beautiful country. I mean, you're not really crediting anything about the country other than its beauty, but you know, I guess that's. that's I mean, better. what would what would like your country's like mountains and waterways have to do with um, ripping the government? Nothing or not getting Griner back. So I mean, he he meant it in 
uh, we live in a great country, which is not um, something that I think he said recently. But um, the long story short is like, you know, you guys put this clip out. It was a very dumb thing to say. I don't think that they're like, I wish we could live in an alternate universe where we see how the episode what the full context was because I don't trust that it's going to be accurately portrayed now that it already started a fire. But um, I don't, I doubt that the context that originally existed um, somehow, you know, makes this comment not as dumb. No, I don't, I don't think so. Otherwise that would have been released already. Um, And and it has not been, it has not been released already. Um, I wanted to talk about the Schefter thing, about the big WAPO Schefter profile. I can do it. I can keep going. I'm in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we can, and then we'll get out of here soon enough because it's boiling hot in the garage I do this in. But yes, the Schefter profile, I'll do the expository. Uh, ben Strauss of the Washington Post. No Ethan's relation. cousin. Yeah, or, or no relation, one of the two, um, did a profile on uh, Schefter as the news breaker uh, par excellence at ESPN, but also somebody who keeps running into these controversies because it seems like he's so enthralled to his sources that it compromises his journalistic integrity. And I found the article to be subtly interesting. Not that there was any big takeaway, but just one of the things that mentioned, which I found to be true, is that part of the news breaking game, a game I would never succeed at, by the way, even if I wanted to, is the trading of information that when you get to a certain level, it's not just that Schefter is uh, begging the sources for info. He has info and he's trading the info to the sources for the news break and for the nugget. And that's how it works at a certain level. And that is also true at the NBA where at a certain level, you're leveraging what you know to get more uh, to get more known, and it, it can just kind of snowball for one's career. Uh, the other thing that I found interesting, maybe this is more internally interesting than interesting to the uh, reader, is just he succeeded at ESPN because he has no boundaries, as he said. He's always on. I, I remember when Katie signed with the Warriors, I did a hit on it uh, for Sports Center. And then it was 4th of July, I think. And Yes, it was. And then they start just begging me and saying, go, go down to the Marriott. We need you all day for hits. And my wife said, no. Uh, she said, no. Like, we have plans. We have, you know, this and we have that. And Mine would, too. Yeah. And it's not that she was necessarily right or that they were necessarily right. It's just this is what ESPN demands for you to be in good standing within that uh, corporation. Um, I think I developed a bit of a reputation for not being willing to drop everything on any holiday. And I think maybe it was Mortensen, somebody at ESPN. Was yeah. Mortensen wouldn't do the yeah. Christmas hit. Wouldn't do the Christmas hit. And he's religious by the way. Yeah. And Schefter has no compunctions, no boundaries. I, God, that's his wife has made quite a sacrifice, I think, just based on the article. Um, And I was impressed by his work ethic. But I also thought to myself, there is a different and maybe this we will connect this to something to the people listening to this. I do think there's a difference between work ethic and willingness to always be on. I think those are two different things. I think I have a really good work ethic to do a self-assessment. 
I don't, I, I've made choices not to always be on. I want to be able to choose when that work ethic manifests itself. I would always put myself in a similar category. Yeah. And I just think that that is such a detriment to most people's happiness. Uh, it, it was referred to with Schefter uh, that he was a cyborg. Um, so maybe it's not a detriment to his happiness. Although it does seem, yeah, the, the piece also went through all the mistakes that he's made, and I don't really feel like summarizing them now. No. So I think most people here remember them. Yeah, um, yeah, it's just I think that there is something very detrimental to happiness when you always have to be at the drop of a hat, uh, plugged in, and that's not a normal state to be. But in. he talked about how he broke some draft trade or whatever. I don't even remember which one it was. Um, see, that's the thing is maybe how many people do you think remember that he broke the Eagles were trading down or whatever? I don't even know what the trade was anymore, but, um, he, he like broke it in the middle of his son's college graduation. And it basically, you know, what these newsbreakers, when you get like a big scoop, it's basically like, um, like it, it makes it move, you know? Yeah. And, um, there, there's like such a rush from the, and they all have these foils like Woj and Shams and Schefter and Rappaport. Um, mm. Like it's not even just getting it. It's getting it and having the other guy not get it. Yeah. It just gives them this considerable satisfaction. Well, there was a little bit of a reveal of how it really works, by the way, in the article, because as Ben Strauss is doing this profile, Schefter is notified of news that he will break later in the day, but he didn't immediately turn around and break it. And that's how it goes with the top newsbreakers. They're often served up a nugget of news and told to release it at a specific time. It's not, oh, I learned and immediately running to Twitter. And so it's a little bit, um, it's a little bit more on a schedule than I think people might assume. And then, I think the thing for us to engage with is the theory it advances. ESPN says, as you're mentioning, that it makes the ratings jump when he's got a big scoop. I don't think I've really seen that reflected in the long term. It might be true in the short term. Uh, Rich Eisen said that he legitimized the NFL network with a scoop that he had. Um, So maybe that's true and it gained a certain status for that network, a certain cachet. That might also be true. I'm just of the opinion that none of this actually matters for ESPN, that they should be in the commentary business, that they have so much cachet and standing that they don't need to be breaking the news and that this has undermined them because in order to do commentary, you need to not give a fuck about what agents want. Again, like I said, giving an extreme fuck about what agents want as opposed to giving a fuck about what your audience wants is a mistake. And I'm not sure the suits have ever connected these two things and wondered about the implications. Yeah. Well, the thing is, is they, it's really, it's not about the agents. It's about the owners and the league office and ESPN has gotten out of the business of having friction with them. Yeah. Well, I think it, it gets you off of your mandate. You're feeding Twitter addicts as opposed to just trying to inform and entertain. And it makes you distracted. Well, but Adam Schefter is entertaining on TV. That's the thing. He is good on TV. Yes, he is. Um, so, 
you know, he's enthusiastic. He looks like he's having fun. He looks like this is all he cares about because it is most of what all he cares about. And um, he, he like, he, he has zest, you know, like Bart yeah. Simpson, Bart's people. Um, Lisa was like this, you know, boring anchor. And then all mm. of a sudden Bart comes on. He's a natural broadcaster. I think that um, Schefter is somebody who, you know, you you might look up from your phone when he's on TV. Yeah. And I don't know. I, I think that was something else that came through that um, Schefter is very well liked. Um, and I don't think has many enemies, despite whatever mistakes. And he's been able to rise in this very competitive ecosystem and he's very driven, but he's the nice guy. And there is some overlap with Woj. I think Woj is really good, as Schefter is, at, at remembering the birthdays and remembering the family members. These things that endure you to people. But Schefter, Schefter spends, in the article, I mean, $16,000 in a single year on chocolates. He's giving out his gifts to potential sources um, that he writes, he writes off on his taxes. Uh, he says it's not all transactional, that these are real relationships, but the write-off still happens. And it was, I thought, a, a fascinating look at how somebody stays on top of that business. But in the end, you come away from it thinking that this isn't exactly uh, aligned. Should with the IRS check into that? <laughs> like, I, mean, I mean, I think you have if, a pretty good case. What if caused a tax investigation of the, the chocolate gifts? I mean... <laughs> Like, that's not a business expense. It is, though. It is. It is. I mean, he can't have it both ways and say that these are real relationships and, and write them off on the taxes. But, I mean, he is doing that, I think, for business purposes. I think that is a legit tax write-off. Um. Yeah, but now, with the way they've rewritten it, when you're, like, an employee, you can't write off, like, business expenses like that. Oh. So, I guess if it happened in the last two or three years may not be as kosher. Um, Maybe not. Maybe not. But, the, hey. but yeah, I no, I, t- I do understand what you're saying, that, like, ESPN does not need to, like, fetishize as first reported by ESPN on the bottom line. But, oh, the funniest thing in that piece, which we haven't gotten to yet, is yeah. SI you, um, wrote about how Seth Markman, who's in charge of, football content ESPN had a scoop scoreboard and like oh, yeah. declared um, Schefter as the runaway winner over Rappaport in an SI profile and Rappaport yeah. went and like fact checked it and asked them to make a correction. Oh. Um, they, you know, we'll see that though. We'll see ESPN get beaten by Shams or Rappaport by even if it's like only a few seconds or a minute or two, but it happens and they'll still credit themselves. Now there are times where they will credit the athletic, like when Shams had um, that like Kyrie plan to opt in and he was the only guy who had that, um, they had to credit him or there was something else with Kyrie that they had to credit him on, but well, it's, um, it's all just an absurd rat race. I mean, I don't know what it meant means metaphorically, but it's just, everybody is miserable trying to collect these little points that I don't think mean that much towards the bottom line and yet have become the measurement of success. And I don't know why that happened, but it fits in with this broader theme 
of corporations. Well, it's it's derived like you know, it's derived from newspapers trying to scoop each other. Where if you if the like New York Post beat the Daily News, you beat them for like six or eight or twelve hours until the next edition comes out. But so that's what it's like. This competitiveness is rooted in, but it's totally obsolete with how fast information moves now, because if like there, if you break something now, like Ben Strauss, the thing that he broke in there about the Rappaport petitioning SI over the scoop scoreboard, putting it in a story like that. I really admire the hell out of a scoop like that. And he's a competitor. Like that's something I would have loved to have. Um, But in terms of like breaking like a signing or a trade first that is going to become public knowledge in a matter of moments, regardless of who is the courier of the information that is like, just, I know I could never be as good at it as yeah. these people were talking about, but I don't care about it either. Yeah. That's where I'm at where I, I try not to be too critical sometimes because I recognize that, I can't do it. I don't have the skill set for it. I never have. I thought about it, but it's just not in me. So there's respect for the people who can do it, but I also think it doesn't matter. And it's fundamentally a silly, uh, it's fundamentally silly. It matters if you can get it out, like before the people want it out. I, but we don't, there's no way for us to know when it's handed to them on like a silver platter and when they're actually, you know, jumping the apple cart. Yes. Um, okay. Well, I think that's a pretty good, good show by you. That's pretty good. good. Do, you have any, <laughs> do you have anything to plug anything as we get on out of here? Um, I interviewed two um, professional wrestlers today. Um so they they work for Billy Corgan's NWA promotion, and <laughs> the it is a man and a woman. And the woman um, thought like she got off a flight and realized she didn't have her purse, and then it wasn't in the seat. And the the guy, the male wrestler she was with, like tracked her iPod or or not her iPod, the AirPods to a Walmart 45 minutes from the airport while they're looking for the lost purse. And some guy tries to buy a $700 TV on her credit card. They show up at the Walmart as he's checking out and the guy just tackles him and holds him on the ground until police come. And I talked to them about that. Well, that's quite a story. I don't know how I'll top it. Um, I've got an interview coming out with, um, uh, jailed international arms dealer Victor Bout. Uh, and <laughs> he can't wait. Uh, he can't wait to go to the Middle East. There's some stuff out there that he really wants to uh, set up and fuel. And uh, it was a fascinating conversation. So check out House of Strauss. Um, okay. Thanks to everybody. Thanks for the great calls. Uh, we will have more for you next week. Stay safe. Enjoy the summer, folks. Bye. See ya.